0: my all-time favorite scripture reading. <laughs> and I have I've come to summarize the wisdom, God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs in three statements. If you take notes, this is where you write them down. You can um, share these thoughts. You can tweet them out. No charge. Here it comes. This is God's wisdom from the book of Proverbs. A good marriage is really, really good. A bad marriage is really, really bad, and don't commit adultery. That's it. That's God's wisdom from the book of Proverbs. If you've been reading the book of Proverbs, this kind of frank language that we uh, have read this morning doesn't surprise you at all. I love that the the Bible doesn't pull any punches. God's wisdom is lived out in the sort of nitty-gritty of everyday life, including marriage. And this morning, we're going to take a look at God's wisdom for marriage, sort of in those categories a good marriage is really good, a bad marriage is really bad, and don't commit adultery. Now, you're in one of these categories, though, this morning. Uh, one category, you, you might be in a really good marriage, and you know that a good marriage is really, really good. It's just intoxicating love, and, and you want to invest in your marriage. You know how valuable it is to you and your family, and you want to take God's wisdom and apply it to your marriage. So you might be in that category. Or this morning, you might be in a really bad marriage. You know the dripping of the leaky roof of life that that can be, the str- the real pain and struggle. If you're in that category this morning, I want to encourage you to maybe capture a new glimpse of what God's wisdom for marriage is. Wisdom, and, and to get, catch a new vision for your marriage that you might apply God's wisdom to it. You might be in the category of people who say, I'm not sure, I I might be in a good marriage, I might be in a really bad marriage depending on what time of day it is. You're in what I call a realistic marriage and uh, this is God's wisdom for you. You might be here this morning and you might be single. Perhaps you've never been married or you are no longer married for whatever reason. For you, I wanna let you know this, singleness is good. Our Lord Jesus, by his life and his ministry, affirmed singleness. Jesus Christ was a single adult male, and he accomplished great things. I don't think anybody in this room would disagree with me on that. And that in itself affirms singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 also affirms singleness as as a good lifestyle, and actually advantageous, that there's advantages to being single. And specifically, there are advantages to the gospel and gospel ministry in being single. So there is, uh, singleness is affirmed throughout scripture. So, but but for this morning, my hope for you as we consider biblical marriage is that even as a single person, it's important for us to understand biblical marriage so that we can understand God's love for us. God's love is powerfully portrayed in scripture as the love of God a groom to a bride. And as we understand that type of union, that type of love, we can understand, so as we understand marriage, we understand God's love, even if you're single. My other hope for you this morning, too, is that, oh, and also the Bible begins and ends with weddings. So the Bible begins with a wedding. In the Garden of Eden, a man and a woman become one flesh. And the end of the Bible ends with a big wedding feast of of the lamb and the the beautiful bride, the church. So, bookended in God's revelation of himself is, is marriage. And so it helps us to understand that. But it also will keep us from, from two errors, two opposite errors. If you're a single person, you might say, look, ma- biblical marriage, that's a thing of the past, that's old-fashioned, or been there, done that, no thank you, or I've seen it in my, you know, my parents or whoever, and that just, it just doesn't work, so no thanks. I want nothing to do with it. On the other end of the spectrum would be those who want to be married so bad that they'll do anything and make any mistake just to be married because they feel inadequate or somehow um, shortchanged because they are not married. Because they are not married, and I, I want to, I want to speak against both of those extremes and embrace an understanding of biblical marriage and of singleness that is healthy and whole. And that's my hope for you this morning. And if you are single and you do desire to be married. There are ways to get married well, and you can apply God's wisdom to your desire to be married. So, I want to do that this morning. Let's pray as we begin. Father, you are so good to us, your love is so deep. And as we have sung your praises, Lord, uh, we just pray that our hearts would just be very alive to you and to your ways as we approach a topic that is both a source of joy, but also a source of deep hurt and pain for many people. Lord, I pray that you would be gentle with us. I pray that your spirit would guide us to understand your heart for marriage, your design for marriage, and that we would be learning your wisdom in this time. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, first thing. Let's talk about bad marriages first. A bad marriage is really really bad. So, in order to avoid that, you don't want to get it wrong. So in the book of Proverbs, you know there's warning against a bad, you know how bad a marriage can be. So just marry the right person. And I'm especially talking to those of you who are single. I'm also talking to those of you who are parents or grandparents and you have children or grandchildren who may become married as you Teach them God's wisdom as you pray for them. You can pray along some of these lines. Um, In in our verse, our proverb for this idea is Proverbs 27, 15 and 16. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. I once preached that proverb at a wedding I did once. (laughs) You do that once. Um, it went okay. It was a former student of mine. I've known her since middle school. We go way back, and she had grown to be a, a young woman, to get married. And she said to me, because I'm her former youth pastor, she said, JP, I want you to do this wedding, but just don't get too sentimental. And I said, oh, don't you worry. <laughs> and uh, I said, I have found the most unsentimental verse about marriage in all of Scripture. I've been searching just for you. And I shared it. It was good, except after the, after the ceremony, a person came up to me upset, a woman. She said, how come the Bible teaches that a quarrelsome wife is like a drippy roof in a rainstorm, but it doesn't talk about a bad husband or a quarrelsome husband? I said, yeah, no problem. This is wisdom that was written to a young man. That's the specific context, you know, to a son, to a father, to a son, to a young man. So if it was written to a young woman, of course it would have included, you know, a a quarrelsome husband is equally a drippy roof. It's it's really bad. So I just wanted to say this is not picking on women or wives in any way. Uh, But in the context in which this was written, certainly to a young man. But anything is better than a bad marriage, a bad spouse. Uh, Proverbs 21, nine: better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert than, to, than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Anything. Proverbs 15.17, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fatted calf with hatred. I'd rather eat this little portion of just the veggies than to have the whole steak to myself if there's not love there. In that image, anybody who's in a struggling marriage or a bad marriage, you know how hard it is to have this steak, this beautiful feast, and have no appetite for it. Don't want to eat it. It's in front of me. I don't want anything to do with it. And... So the the point is, because a bad marriage is so bad, you really want to get it right up front. You really want to marry the right person. Dr. Neil Clark Warren wrote a book called Finding the Love of Your Life. He's sort of an expert in finding your match, finding a good mate. And he wrote a whole chapter on avoiding the seven most prevalent causes, get this, the seven causes of faulty mate selection. So he said, here's seven ways you can find a faulty mate. Number one, going too fast. Like just get, getting married too quickly. He says, take it slow. You're better to break up before you get married than afterwards. The second thing, not growing up first. So bringing your own immaturities into the relationship is a recipe for bad mate selection. Number three, being too eager to be married. You just want to be married so bad. If, if that's the driving force, you might be inclined to, um, to multi-faulty. Mate selection. Uh, Number four, you marry because of other people's pressure. So if your friends or your family are saying, when are you going to get married? That's a really bad motivation to get married. Fair enough. Uh, Number five is you don't know each other well enough. You know, you haven't been through enough life and stuff together. Number six is making assumptions about what marriage would be like or what the other person is like. That's really a communication issue. And number seven is about unresolved brokenness, that you go into a marriage blind to your spouse's past hurts and wounds of their life without understanding them. So that's how you avoid it. So how do you find a good partner? How do you find a good spouse? How do you avoid a bad marriage? What do you look for? I'll give you four things from the book of Proverbs. The first is faith. Faith. Proverbs 19.23 is my proverb for this one. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to, to life. Then one rests content. The fear of the Lord leads to satisfaction in life. And if you both have it, if you fear the Lord and you, and you love the Lord and you both share that, you will have satisfied life together. It's a, very, it's a very strong starting point. And on the flip side, if you don't share that, that's not a great starting point. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. So speaking to Christians, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And the context of that isn't necessarily marriage. It's talking about other relationships. But marriage is sort of the ultimate yoking of two lives together. Say, so why would somebody who loves the Lord and wants to serve the Lord and wants to uh, proclaim the truth of, of the gospel, who believes that foundationally who I am and how I was created and the purpose of my life is all found in the Lord, want to wake up every day next to somebody who has a different framework for life. It's not a good foundation, not a good starting point. It's one thing if, if, you know, my partner doesn't like sushi and I really like sushi. You could probably navigate that. My partner really doesn't like country line dancing, but I really like country line dancing. You could probably figure that out. But when the core of who we are about wanting to to know and love and please God and your partner doesn't share that, that can lead to deep, deep loneliness even in the context of marriage. So you want to look for somebody with faith that is similar to yours. Secondly, character. I don't have a specific proverb for this, but if you read Proverbs, a person of noble character, a person who is upright and righteous, is on a good path of life. A person who is not a person of good character, a person who is lacks integrity. A person who is deceitful is on a path of ruin, and that person is going to lead others on that same path of ruin. If you read Proverbs, it's these people are are heading for destruction, and if you associate with them, you are headed for destruction too. You want to look for somebody who has an upright moral character. Imagine if you have a couple, and one person is committed to telling the truth, and the other one doesn't really care if the details are quite correct. One person is con- committed to sexual integrity, and the other person doesn't really matter. One person wants to be generous and, and tithing and gi- giving money to the Lord, and the other person not a priority to be generous. You, you can see how these things are just recipe. These are not small things in the context of a marriage. So you want somebody of character. So somebody of faith, one of character, someone with emotional health. Things like secrets and wounds and past complications from, from time past it can really uh, become a problem in a relationship. Now, it's not that we're all in the same place or we all have these emotional, healthy backgrounds and the same upbringing. It's going to be impossible to find someone like that. But being aware of them. Proverbs 22.3 is my proverb for this. It says, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but a simple, the simple keep going and suffer for it. It is, you need to know the warning spots. You're driving on a country road and there's a puddle. You know, if you know the road, you can skim over the puddle, but if you're not sure how deep it is, you're going to want to know before you drive through it so you don't bottom out. Same thing with someone's life. It's not that I have a problem that you've had hurts in your past. I just want to know what they are. I want to know what healing you've found in your life and what healing you haven't found because those things will inevitably, in the context of a marriage, uh, th- those pitfalls and those holes can be very deep. So we want to know the bumps and bruises and, and, and be go in wide, eyes wide open into that type of relationship. Faith, character, emotional health, and finally, communication. Somebody who can talk, and, you can talk and listen to. My proverb for this one is Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. We are people who have, there's a depth to us, and if you can have a partner who can draw out that depth as you communicate and relate to one another, it it goes a long way in in a marriage. I've I've done a, a lot of premarital counseling and talking to just pastoral counseling and marriages. My wife is also a a counselor, a therapist, and trained in marriage counseling. And we've found that of all the things that become problems in relationships, marriage relationships, uh, communication, conflict resolution, financial problems, sexual problems, in-law problems, other common problems, Couples that can communicate well can usually navigate most of those. So if you communicate well, you can usually resolve conflict well. If you can communicate well, you can deal with financial struggles because you're communicating well. Communication becomes so foundational. Now the good news is that you can learn how to communicate better if you don't now. So that it's it's skills that you can gain. So those four things are, are great ways using God's wisdom to seek a good marriage because a bad marriage can be really really bad. So if you are single, these are things you can think about. If you are praying for your children or for your grandchildren, you can pray these things. And, and we need to teach these things because we, we, we meet people who have never heard. You know, I'm a Christian. I should be looking for a spouse who also is a Christian, who loves Jesus like I do. I've never heard that before. We need to be people who teach this to the next generation. We, they need God's wisdom because marriage is not easy. And we want people to start off well. You may be sitting there saying, oh, that's great. I wish I had known this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Nobody taught me this, and I'm in an ill-advised marriage. I would say, God bless you, because a good marriage is really, really good, and you can work at it and fight for it, to have a good marriage. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That is a beautiful, beautiful image. It's in, Think of this. This is the wife of your youth. So when the youthful excitement is gone, when your youthful body is gone, there can still be such a deep, intoxicating, beautiful satisfaction in your spouse. And your marriage can be such a, a, a nurturing place, a foundation bedrock for you and for your family. It's a really a, a foundational building block of our society, um, it, but it takes work. Because it is strong and solid does not mean it's easy. Solid means solidly committed, solidly persevering, solidly striving for it. And if you let it crumble and you you give up on it, it's it, you lose the foundation. Again, if, if marriage is foundation of family, how can a family be strong when marriage falls apart? And I hear people say, you know, my wife and I are going to get divorced, but no big deal. The kids will be fine. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, it's not going to be that expensive. We'll just... No, it's not just fine. Yes, there can be healing, and yes, you know, and I speak as a child of a divorced family. My parents divorced when I was a teenager. It wasn't just fine. It wasn't, oh, we'll all get on. And yes, we have, and God's grace is good to us and good to me, but that foundation is gone. It's broken. It will never be the same. So we should pursue the strong foundation. Huh. Let me give you three things. Three ways to build your marriage, to build strength into your marriage. One is to find joy. Find some sort of commonality and joy together, you and your spouse. What any shred, if there's, however different you are, if there's any shred of commonality between you, go with that. You might have to look way back to when you were dating. What was it that attracted you to your spouse? What things did you do together that was fun and brought joy? Get back there and do those things, pursue those things any commonality, if you share faith with your spouse, one of the greatest things you can do is to pray with your spouse. In my marriage, one of the the finest things that has developed intimacy between my wife and I is when we pray together. And I say that from the perspective of the fact that there's been times when we have prayed together and times when we haven't been praying together, and I know the difference. Because we share our faith, and when we share it in prayer and approach the Lord together, there's an intimacy that we experience with the Lord and with each other. One of the problems we ran into when we learned this truth, we learned that praying together was good, so we started carving out time in our schedule to pray. Monday nights, marriage prayer time, an hour, two hours. And we would turn the TV off, and we'd sit and look at each other and share about our week and our feelings. And and then I would pray for her, and she would pray for me in these elaborate, beautiful prayers. And we felt so close to each other. But here's what happened. Life happened. Reality happened. And one of us wasn't feeling well, so we missed our Monday prayer time. So we had to go a whole week before we did this big, elaborate prayer thing again. And then uh, one of the kids had a thing, or I had a night meeting. And then before we know it, we weren't praying together at all because we had set the bar so high of what prayer together was. This, it has to be these big flowery, you know, special things. And months go by, and we feel so distant from one another. What has happened? So look, we've got to forget that. Monday nights is done. We're just going to pray all the time. Short prayers. Hey, you're leaving for work? 15 seconds, let me pray for you. Hey, let me, let me pray before you go see your client. Let me, before you leave with the kids, let me just do pray, And we just pray whenever we can. And simple prayers and easy prayers. And it's just been easier to pray now that we've learned that you don't have to make it this big, crazy thing. But whatever commonality you have, my point is this. Find it, celebrate it, find joy. It's the first thing. Second thing. So number one is find joy. Number two is realize the 100% commitment of marriage. In God's wisdom. And this is what I mean by this. The world operates on a 50-50 wisdom. That's the wisdom of the world, not God's wisdom. 50-50. I do my half, you do your half, and it'll work. And we are often attracted to people when we're dating. This is why couples, married couples, they're often very opposite. They say opposites attract. Do you know why opposites attract? Because you see something in your partner that you don't have, and it's attractive to you. So let's say I'm the, I'm the partner who is fun-loving and easygoing and I don't need to keep a tight schedule and that's, I'm fun and life is exciting with me. And let's say my partner is somebody who's very structured and scheduled and plays by the rules. And I meet this person and say, whoa, she's so organized and everything's so well planned, that is attractive. I want that, and then rigid or structured person says, look how fun, life with this person is so fun and free and I want that, what a great, we would make a great team. No, you won't. I mean, yes, opposites attract, but what you're doing is you're seeing your deficiencies in your spouse's strengths or your partner's strengths and, and, and you want them. But then if we go into marriage and say, okay, you need to do you need to do your structured, organized thing, and I need to do my free loving thing. And if we both do those things, you know, your fifty percent, my fifty percent, will equal hundred percent. We're going to be a great team. Those things that you thought were so cute and so attractive about that person before you got married, totally annoy you now. They're, it's irritating. Why can't you just loosen up? Why can't you follow the plan? It just it just the more that you do your 50% and the more that I do my 50%, the further and the more polarized we get and the more we resent each other. It's a, terrible, it's a terrible team. But in God's wisdom, we're not called to give 50%. We're called to give 100%. And those things I see in my partner, in my deficiencies, God's wisdom, here's God's wisdom. God's wisdom is, you are foolish, and whatever your inclination is in life, there are times when you need to use God's wisdom differently. For example, if I'm the fun-loving one, there's times when you need to make plans, and Proverbs affirms that, that it's, it is good to make plans. A person who is so rigid and structured also needs to use God's wisdom to say, hey, God's plans are not your plans, and sometimes things change, and you can't schedule your life. And actually, next week, the message is going to be about Here's my plans and here's God's plans and how do these things live in tension with each other. But God is calling me to to change and to be more 100%, to bring wholeness into the marriage and calling my spouse to bring wholeness so that we can both bring 100% and and then that's a flourishing marriage. So you've got to realize the 100% rule. If you do the 50-50 thing, you'll always feel like you're doing your 50%. You're carrying your weight and your spouse isn't. I'm holding up my end of the bargain and my spouse is falling short. You'll always feel that way. And I know because I've felt that way. Find joy, realize the 100%, and and thirdly is marriage enrichment. Do something to enrich your marriage. Go on, I'll tell you a story. I was 23 years old, I got married. And we got back from our honeymoon, we're opening all our wedding presents. I got new dishes and silverware and money. And I open this one envelope up, it's from my sister. It's a gift certificate to a marriage enrichment retreat. What a terrible <laughs> gift. I, I just married a wonderful woman, she just married a wonderful man, things are great. The, the, the last thing I need or want is marriage enrichment retreat. How lame is that? Worst wedding present ever. And it expires in one year. And it's not cheap, either. So you have to, it was the hotel, and you register for the conference, and there's all the materials. So it's, like, it's a, kind of a generous gift, but kind of a terrible gift. So I'm stuck with the marriage enrichment thing. And I'm like, oh, thanks, sister, it's great. And then, so a year goes by. It's about to expire. I register, because I can't offend my family member like this. We go to this thing. I was totally wrong. I was so wrong. It was such a good time. We went to family life, weekend to remember. We were able to get away. We were able to celebrate the strengths of our relationship. We also had an opportunity to work on some stuff that we probably needed to work on, even though we were kind of newlyweds we were still really happy. There was stuff that we needed to work on. Actually, that was, the, that was the weekend where we started really praying together more. So I highly recommend it. I actually think we bought one of these for a couple that got married once, and so it's I bought the terrible, terrible gift. But these things, Weekend to Remember, it comes around, they travel the country, and it comes to New England. Uh, there's other retreats, there's the Alpha Marriage Course, there's, which we haven't run in a while here, but there's other, there's other marriage enrichment stuff out there. Prepare and Enrich, which is a, a marriage counseling service. They have something called a Couple Checkup if you're married. $35, you go online, you fill out your inventory, your partner fills out their inventory, and it spits you the results out, and you can discuss it with your spouse. You actually have to discuss it, though, for it to work. You have to sit and talk. Uh, but it's a, that's a really good resource. I've used that in my own marriage. Um, counseling, going to see a therapist or a counselor, that is a good thing. I would recommend to go and get help fast at signs of warning. People come to my office and they're looking for help, and Things are so far gone. Things are right on the verge of collapse, right on the verge of divorce and and looking for help. That's a really difficult place to start healing. At the first signs of trouble, get help, please. So find joy, realize 100% in any kind of enrichment because a good marriage is really, really good. Last thing, don't destroy your marriage. Don't commit adultery. Proverbs 6.32 says this. A man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does destroys himself. Adultery will destroy you. And this is the, this no topic gets more attention in Proverbs about marriage. This is the number one wisdom for marriage from the book of Proverbs is do not commit adultery. Proverbs chapter seven says it like this. This is an image, again, a wisdom uh, to a young man image of a young man and an adulterous woman. And again, if it was instructed to a woman, it would be the other way around. Proverbs 7, verse 8 says, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So he's going near her house at dark. This is not a, he's not heading in a good place. But she comes out to meet him, Proverbs 7, 10, she comes out to meet him dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, I came out to meet you, I looked for you, and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. She's appealing to his senses. Do you see this? It's very attractive, very appealing. Then in verse 18, she promises an exhilarating experience. Come, let us drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And this is a very exhilarating thing. Pastor Tim Keller wrote a book on marriage, and he was talking about adultery and the sex that couples have in adultery is very thrilling. You can't, you cannot compete with it. Regular marriage over a long period of time can't compete with the exhilaration of that because it's, it, it's, it's so naughty and new and thrilling and we might get caught in all these things together. So here she's promising these things to him. Verse 19, my husband's not at home. He's gone a long journey. He took his purse in, in his, with all his money and he will not be home till full moon. So now she's saying, any fears that you have, any doubts? I'm going to overcome those doubts and fears. We're, gonna, we're not going to get caught. And here's where it ends. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. Adultery will kill you. It will take your life Adultery is never okay. Even in a bad marriage, even in an ill-advised marriage, marriage, the adultery will not take away the pain. It will only multiply it. The remedy in Proverbs is Proverbs 5.15. Drink water from your own cistern. All of your sexual energy needs to be towards your spouse. All of that emotional energy not towards another. Jesus said that thinking about or fantasizing about an, a woman who is not your spouse is the same as adultery. Matthew chapter 5. Pornography is a form of adultery. That's, again, put, putting your sexual energy towards someone who is not your spouse. Even, that's a form of prostitution, too, paying someone else for, for, for sex. It's, it is not okay. And it's not a matter of praying, oh, Lord, don't pray that I not give in to this temptation. It's, Lord, take this temptation away from me. May my heart be towards my spouse, to the wife of my youth, to the husband of my youth. It falls under Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart. It's a lot of work. Just because a marriage is solid does not mean it's easy. And we, But a good marriage is so good. Bad marriage is so bad, and don't don't ruin it with adultery. God in his very nature, the God of the universe, is love. And his love for us is depicted as the love of a groom for the beautiful bride. We, his people, we are that beautiful bride, except we have not been faithful to our husband, God. That is adultery. Adultery. The Bible describes it in that many words. We are unfaithful to him, but God does not give up on us. He'd do anything to make us pure. And Jesus dies for us to make us beautiful again. Ephesians chapter 5. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus went all the way and he gave his life for us that we might be his beautiful bride. If you're married today, may he be your first love and may you, in response to his sacrificial love, love your spouse sacrificially, giving yourself for him or her. Single people, give yourselves fully to the Lord. Trust in him with your whole heart. Lean on his wisdom, not your own. And he will direct your paths. Amen.